Hi, this is Jennifer Virgil, and you're listening to Out of Obscurity, the podcast where we talk lesser known, long forgotten, or recently forgotten films. And today we'll be discussing Driftwood, the 2016 dialogue-free film. And my guest today is Luke Maldarella. Hey, it's great to be here. Well, it's good to have you. And he is a college student and aspiring film critic. So to start with, I always ask whoever's on, what is their favorite film? The top one? Only one. Mm -hmm. So if I had to pick one, I'm sure there's a lot I could say. But if I had to pick one, um, probably I would say The Tree of Life, which is, mm-hmm. um, came out in 2011, directed by Terrence Malick. I would say that's probably been my favorite film, probably since around the time I watched it for the second time. Mm-hmm. I have only seen the film once, and I don't want to watch it again, really? because it was such an interesting experience that I don't want to ruin it. Because I feel like if I watch it again, I'll find it like pretentious or something, but it's really, really beautiful. I had kind of the same fear after the first time I watched it, because it was one of the first like really experimental films that I watched. Mm-hmm. And I just decided like I'm going to rewatch it, and then I did. And it was just this really like beautiful, transcendent experience to me. And I think it's just a really beautiful, personal, abstract, but in kind of like a really coherent way. And it's just this really beautiful piece of art that means a lot to me. I agree. And I don't think that director has done anything since then close to that in quality or in impact, I guess. I would agree. I think it's like the general consensus that his post Tree of Life stuff is less, (laughs) is like less quality wise than his earlier stuff. I was in the minority. I actually really enjoyed Song to Song, which a lot of people didn't, but I found it just like... I don't know. I was having like kind of a bad day when I watched it and it was just really, really beautiful. That's probably one that I probably wouldn't want to rewatch to ruin the experience, but it's a great memory. So I have a funny story about watching that. So I was super excited because of the cast and because I did like Tree of Life to see it. Yeah. My dad came up to Ohio where I went to college and he was there for work and we went to Dayton or Cincinnati. We went to like a bigger city in Ohio and they were playing to the indie theater and I was like, we've got to see it. I really, really want to see it. And he's not a big film person. He's definitely not an experimental person. Yeah. And I was hyping it up and I was talking about Rudy Marr and how much I love her and Natalie Portman. And then we saw it and I felt so bad. Because I could just tell he hated it so much. Even I didn't like it. Even I found it rather boring. I mean, it is visual poetry, but I just didn't connect with it. And I didn't like the story in this one. He didn't trust me to pick films for a while. (laughs) That's really funny. I wish I would have gotten the chance to see it in a theater. But I lived in a really small town at the time. And it wasn't playing. So I just watched it on my laptop. But I loved it. So... Oh, good. I'm glad. I'm glad you liked it. I'm glad that it found its audience. I can't say that's me, though. So I also like to ask what your favorite performance is from a certain actress that I love. So today I want to ask, what's your favorite Amy Adams performance? So, uh, yeah, Amy Adams, she's definitely one of my favorite actresses, I'd say. She has a lot of great performances, but Mm -hmm. probably my favorite one, and I know it's probably really like the most common answer, but my favorite performance from her is probably Arrival. I think the way that she conveys like the emotion of of the story is just really powerful and just done in just through facial expressions and body language. And she just really makes the character feel palpable and real. You can tell that she definitely has a lot of empathy in her heart. That performance is one that's always stuck with me. Yeah, I, I cried when I watched that film, and it was largely because of her performance. Me too. It's a very moving film. It's not your typical alien sci-fi film at all. 
No, definitely not. It's funny because I think the only two science fiction films I've cried during are directed by Denis Villeneuve. Denis Villeneuve, I think. Blade Runner 2049 and Arrival. Yeah, those are two very, very amazing films. And I know he's doing an adaptation of Dune. Right. So I'm pretty excited for that to see where that goes. I'm very interested as well. That's a book that my dad has been trying to get me to read since I was like... 15. <laughs> I've never read, but I'm excited to see the film of it. And maybe then I'll read the book. Have you seen the David Lynch film? No. Oh, I forgot that he did one. Yeah. And it had Kyle McLaughlin in it. Yeah, I think so. I haven't seen that one, but I'll definitely be checking it out before Bill Noobs comes out. I feel like that's one of the David Lynch films I've heard the least about, though. I don't know if it's just because people don't like it or just not a lot of people have seen it. Yeah, it's kind of obscure. And I think it's like one of his lower like rated films, like people don't like Mm -hmm. it as much. Pretty sure it was one of his earlier ones. But I guess for David Lynch, it's like the more concrete, realistic it is, the less good it is. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Although I am watching Twin Peaks for the first time. And I think that's my favorite thing by him because it's a little bit more grounded in reality, which is a weird thing to say about Twin Peaks if you've seen it. Yeah. But the plot and the characters make sense. And it's got like a soap opera kind of feel to it in this small town. So even though it does have these weird, strange elements to it and this vibe, it is kind of realistic. Yeah, I really like Twin Peaks because of that. Because it just feels so like calm and quiet. Mm. Almost like it's trying to be less serious than it is, like with the music and stuff. But it always has this like sinister undertone to Mm -hmm. it that really I think is effective. Yeah, I'm excited to get to the new episodes that came out, you know, this past year. I am too. I haven't gotten around to those either. So so I think for me, my favorite Amy Adams role is from Doubt. Oh, yeah. That's a great film. Yeah, because she has so many great films and so many great roles. Because I, I was thinking Arrival, and then I was thinking Junebug, which is like one of her earlier things. Mm-hmm. But I like Doubt a lot, and I really like her performance in it, even though I think it is kind of Meryl Streep's film. Yeah. Because I think it has a lot of layers to it, and I think her encounters with Meryl Streep's character are really fun to watch, and I think she holds her own in a really interesting way. Definitely. Yeah, she has a lot of vulnerability there. She's a very naive character, it seems like, at first, but then you get a sense that she's not all that naive as it goes on. Right. She really plays that part well. It's it's a really powerful performance. So I'm glad you brought that one up. I just adore films about nuns and the complexity of faith. And I think that film is a perfect one. I did too. And even though the film is more about Meryl Streep's character's doubt, you see a lot of that questioning and doubt in, right. in her as well, which is fun. Mm-hmm. So what was the last thing that you saw in theaters? Uh, the last thing I saw in theaters was Tomb Raider oh. with Alicia Vikander. And I re- yeah, I really liked it. It wasn't like a great movie, you know. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it wasn't targeted at like the artsy crowd or anything. But I thought for like a blockbuster, it was really good. And I really enjoyed myself the whole time. Uh, I thought it flowed really well. And Alicia Vikander was really good in it. Was the action done well? Um, like, was the choreography and everything impressive to watch? I wouldn't call it impressive. Like it wasn't like Mad Max Fury Road impressive, Mm -hmm. but I would call it above average. I think I gave it three and a half out of five. So Mm -hmm. what is the plot really? Because based on the trailer, I have no idea. Like what is she doing? And is she like an Indiana Jones type figure? Because I've never seen the original film and I've never played the video games. She was the daughter of like an archaeologist or like explorer. Mm-hmm. And the, basically the plot was that he discovered this tomb and apparently he thought it possessed some like some spiritual power because there's some old monarch buried in it. 
Right. And then uh, she basically decides to go find it to go against his last wish was basically like, leave it alone or like you'll unleash this dark power over the whole world. And she still went for it. Yeah, she still goes for it. I mean, it's, it's an adventure film. I would compare it kind of to Indiana Jones. It has like a similar vibe to it. It sounds fun. It sounds like it's worth watching. I'm kind of been disappointed by Alicia Vikander's work because since Ex Machina, which I loved and I thought her performance in it was amazing, there's not been a film that she starred in that I've wanted to see. I don't think I've like heard of her being in anything since then. <laughs> She's been in quite a bit. She was in The Light Between Oceans, yeah. The New Jason Bourne, Tulip Fever. And then I'm looking at her letterbox. She was in that, um, The Danish Girl, too. Right. She won the Oscar for that over Rudy yeah. Bell, actually. Which I didn't see, but I know a lot of people don't like that one. Yeah, I'm not super intrigued to see it. And I know it is. I'm someone who's really interested in queer cinema. And I know it is about a trans woman. So I feel like I should be mm-hmm. almost more interested in seeing it than I am. But just based on the trailer, it didn't look that intriguing to me. Yeah. And I'm not a fan either of having, you know, a cis actor play a trans man or woman. So it's off-putting to see, I think. I agree. I think that's one big complaint people have with the movie is that it's just kind of problematic and like it, the way it tells the story and the way they like the filmmakers chose to make mm-hmm. it. So that's definitely not a priority. <laughs> yeah. She kind of needs to step up her game, I think, in picking roles because I think she's a good actress. But it's good to hear that this one is worth checking out. Definitely just for Killing an Afternoon, it's, it's probably the best choice. <laughs> that would be a good one to take my dad to instead of the next Terrence Malick film. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> The last thing I saw, and I just saw it actually like two hours ago, was Unsane, which is the new Steven Soderbergh film. And I did not enjoy it. I can't say I liked it at all. And as it went on, I just liked it less and less. And I thought there were all these problematic elements to it and the way it talks about mental illness and mental health care facilities and psychiatry. Mm Mm-hmm. But I also thought it was really good. I thought it was a really solid thriller. It's not one of those films where I could stop halfway through and be fine. I had to see the end of it. Yeah, I saw it too. And I agree, like, it definitely had some problematic elements to it and, like, the way it depicted mental illness. Mm -hmm. But overall, like, I really, I thought as a thriller, it worked really well. Yeah. And so it did, like, a really good job of holding my attention and, like, the tension and suspense was, Mm -hmm. was all built up very well. It was. And I thought the way that the director constantly makes the audience question whether she is sane or not Mm -hmm. was really interesting. Yeah, it's almost like the the film is like from her point of view, even not even though it's not really, but like we're questioning reality like along with her, which I thought was a really interesting element of the film. Right. I was uncomfortable pretty much the whole time I watched the film, which I think is probably a good thing. I think that's probably what he was going for. Just the walk back to my car in the dark in the parking lot was a bit unnerving after that. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot has been made of the film being shot on, on iPhones. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, for me, it didn't really add anything to the film. Okay. I could tell that it was, I think, even if I hadn't been told, just because of like the quality, I guess, and also yeah. the aspect ratio. Mm-hmm. It yeah, definitely wasn't traditional or like any in any way conventional, which is almost like a signature of Soderbergh. Like he he's always playing with genre and technique and and all that. But the iPhone, like being shot on an iPhone, it was almost kind of a gimmick. Mm-hmm. But in some ways, it worked for me because I felt like it really added like a personal, like intimate quality to the film, where you felt like you 
especially like in the opening scenes where the way it's filmed is like through tree branches. It always feels like someone's watching like this main character played by uh, Claire Foy. And she was really good at oh, it. I really great. enjoyed the performance. I think the film would be so much weaker if she hadn't been in it. I agree. And her big monologue to the, I don't want to spoil anything, but to the main villain, I guess, of the film. Mm hmm towards the end was so good it was incredible it was really powerful it was just a great moment of pure fury and justified fury of course yeah that i really loved yeah that was a great scene the whole like the whole third act was just really bizarre mm-hmm. and really crazy which i kind of liked but again like it just some of the decisions that they made like kind of i'm still processing those i'm not sure where i stand on that they're off-putting for yeah. sure. And I feel like the third act felt like a horror movie to yeah, me. Yeah, it kind of like transitioned from like a thriller to like full-blown horror. Right. There were some things that happened that I was shocked happened. Very shocking movie. <laughs> it is. It is. It's great that it's getting a wide release, though, because it's not something I expected to see at my theater. I think so, too. I would compare it kind of like, I wouldn't really compare it to this. But in terms of like getting a wide release for like really kind of like an artsy movie would be um, It Comes at Night, like last year, mm-hmm. where a lot of people I feel like went into that movie expecting something completely different than what they got. Yeah. Like, I don't know when studios are going to learn that wide releasing these kinds of movies isn't like financially beneficial, but I think it's good if more people get to see the film. I would recommend it. Me too. And I'm looking forward to seeing it again. Oh, I'll never see it. <laughs> That's definitely. I did not like it's it. It's definitely understandable. Yeah, it's it's one of the few films that I did not like, but I still think is really good. Yeah, or quite good. I don't know if really good is is fair. I almost feel like I have to see it again just because there are things that I'm still thinking about, and I just I want to like, I don't know. I just want to think about it more. <laughs> yeah, you want to solidify your opinion on right. it, right? That's fair. I kind of gave it like four stars on Letterbox, just as like I don't know what to give this, so I'm just going to mm-hmm. give it four stars. <laughs> yeah. Well, I definitely thought it was going to be quite a bit different than it was because The Mad Woman is a literary mm-hmm. genre that I'm actually a really big fan of. And then I studied quite a bit in college, okay. specifically modernist, because there's a lot of really interesting books on that topic that I'm very fascinated by through the point of view of women who are mentally unstable, who are in institutions. Right. And this wasn't like that. But one thing that's interesting is, is that those novels all play with form and do really interesting, different things with language and with style and format. Yeah. And the film does something very similar by using an iPhone, I think, and by changing the format. Yeah, I would agree. I think the way it played with format was was really intriguing. And in a way, like, even though it didn't completely work, I'm kind of glad that he made that decision, just because it adds like an extra layer mm-hmm. to think about. Yeah, I think he could have gone a lot further with it mm-hmm. and done it better. But it was an interesting thing. And it was a comparison I noticed with that genre. Mm-hmm. I think my favorite thing about him using an iPhone as his camera was just the idea that a lot of people my age, your age, will see that and think, oh, you know, I do have an iPhone. I can make a film. Yeah, definitely. At the very least, do a short because me and everyone I know has an iPhone or an Android. So this is very possible. So it is sort of encouraging in that way, I think, for young filmmakers who don't have a big budget. Because even I walked out of that film and I don't really have a desire to be a filmmaker. And I was like, wow, I really should be doing something. I should be shooting something. I totally can do this. Yeah, I agree. That's a really interesting point. What about the last thing that you saw at home? Um, So the last thing I saw at home was a movie came out in 2012. It's called Rust and Bone, starring uh, Marion Cotillard and Mm -hmm. Matthias 
Schnoden, I don't know how to say his last name. But anyway, they were both really good in it. And so basically it tells the story of these two different characters. Um, one of them is a single father who's doing like boxing and odd jobs, like security jobs and stuff to try to just make a living. And then the other character played by uh, Marion Cotillard is a kind of like a, like a whale trainer almost, or not like whales, but like she works at like, like yeah, kind of like a sea world type thing. And she does like the orca shows. Mm -hmm. So, um, but anyway, she gets, it's not really a spoiler because it happens near the beginning of the film, but she gets attacked by like, by one of the orcas and loses both her legs. And he's a bouncer at like a nightclub. Mm Mm-hmm. So they, they end up meeting, she gets in a fight and he takes her home and they end up meeting. And so the film basically is just about their relationship and how like they benefit and change each other as people. Huh. I, I knew it was about her injury and her trauma from that and kind of her recovery, but I didn't realize how significant the relationship was in, in the film. Yeah. The themes of like trauma and recovery, both like mental, spiritual, mm-hmm. like and physically and physically were all explored very well i thought it's very like complex i would say like thematically complex film Mm -hmm. just because the character the characters are so nuanced and like the performances are just so great it just it's just endless things to think about where even like even if you don't like you see characters making wrong decisions Mm -hmm. like you can still like empathize with them just because the film is so committed to like is so committed to to these two characters and their complexity and their humanity that it's just really fascinating. I really want to see it now. I love that actress too. I think she's done some really outstanding work. She's yeah. She's really great. Definitely underrated. Yeah. I will see a film pretty much just because it has her. I would too. Yeah. And the film is on Netflix. So if anyone wants to check it out out there, it's that's where it is. Okay. How, is it a is it a longer one or is it more slim? Like, um, do you remember? About- I think it's about like two hours. Okay, so like fair amount. Yeah, I'm just thinking because I I feel like now I want to watch it. So, is there a film that the first time you watched it you disliked it, and then when you watched it again you liked it a lot more, or vice versa? A film that you that you liked the first time and disliked the second time? Yeah, so I recently rewatched um, Old Boy Park Chan Wook's movie. Mm-hmm. And the first time I watched that, I really didn't like it. I think I watched it when I was like, it might have been the reason, but I watched it when I was like 14 or 15. And I think I really just didn't get it. And then I rewatched it like basically on impulse a couple weeks ago. And I really loved it. <laughs> I like I bumped it up from like two stars to like five stars because I really, oh, wow. yeah, I really loved it. I thought um, the direction and like the editing and everything was just so fascinating and the performances and just the the raw like emotional quality that it had was just really captivating and i'm really glad i rewatched that one yeah i love the handmaiden yeah and i really enjoy at least i love the direction of stoker i don't know if i love the film but i think it's so well directed and shot yeah i would say the same but i have not seen really anything else from him so I need to probably watch more. I just, I know his stuff can be very disturbing. It is. Very and I'm someone who does not like to be disturbed. I still haven't watched The Killing of a Sacred Deer just because I know it's supposed to be really disturbing. And I, I don't like to be creeped out, which I, I know is the point, but I just, I hate yeah. it. 
that's definitely understandable. I think it's less disturbing than like, or um, in regards to like killing of a sacred deer. I think it's less disturbing than his first film or second film, Dogtooth. I don't know if you've seen right. that one. The the Greek, his Greek one. Yeah, it's less disturbing than that. I rented it and never watched it. I like rented it and I was like, I'm gonna do it, and I was just like, oh, can't do it. I really like that one, but it's definitely disturbing. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of one for me that I either liked or disliked the second time around. Oh, you know what I can say is for me, when I first watched Wonder Woman, I really liked it. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of fun. I thought it was really good action. I enjoyed it a ton. And I, I even got emotional watching. And I think just because it was seeing a female superhero as the protagonist was really cool to me. And even though I'm not into DC films or, or Marvel really at all, mm-hmm. I still really, really liked it. And then about a month or two later, I saw it at the drive-in. And I did not like it as much the second time. I thought it was really kind of simplistic in its terms of good and evil and love conquers all. Yeah. And I didn't think that she was that good the second time around. I didn't really care about the romance. And I thought that was a little unnecessary even to the plot. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was not as, you know, feminist with a capital F as I originally thought. Right. That one didn't really hold up on a rewatch for me. Hmm. That's actually one I've been avoiding rewatching for that very reason. <laughs> just because the first time I saw it, well, first of all, I was just pleasantly surprised because it was just miles better than all the other DC films. Mm-hmm. It was a very like emotional experience, like you said, just because it was so like, I don't know, just like seeing like a female director and a female star getting to do like this big, big budget, like studio action movie it was just really inspiring. Mm-hmm. But I felt like on rewatch, like you said, like the performances and stuff wouldn't click as much for me. I also agree about the romance. It felt like really forced in there and like half-baked and unnecessary. Kind of wish that wasn't an element. Me too, but it feels like anytime there's a female protagonist, there's always some degree of romantic relationship. Yeah, there always is. I've heard a lot of people on the internet express an interest in seeing her have a girlfriend for the sequel because I know she, in the comics, I guess, is bisexual. Interesting. So I, that would be interesting to see, but I don't, I really feel like she doesn't need a romantic interest at all in the new one. I would, yeah, I would be I would be open to that. It would be like a, definitely a departure from, from convention, just having like, because <laughs> there's always just like the stereotypical heterosexual romance in all these movies so it'd be it'd be interesting to see it go a different way but at the same time i agree it's not really necessary at all no i mean it'd be good representation i think but i don't think it's necessary for her character so they recently announced that tessa thompson and chris hemsworth we're going to be in a new reboot of Men in Black. So I was just wondering. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's a, it's not a series I really wanted or needed to be rebooted, I think, but it's a fun casting. So are there any film series that you would like to see rebooted? Um, I'm not usually a fan of reboots, mm-hmm. but if I had to pick one, let's see. So these movies were like childhood favorites of mine, and I still really like them, but they're the, um, the Narnia movies. Oh, yeah. They never really finished those either. Yeah, they didn't. They kind of just like made three and I think they had plans to make more, but like funding didn't come through or something. Mm -hmm. But I'd really like to see those like a modern take on those because I know they came out in like the 2000s. And even though that's not too long ago, like I know I was back visiting my family and they were like watching them and they just feel like really outdated. Yeah. Even though they're really like imaginative, they feel kind of generic. So I'd kind of like to see like a modern take on those. 
Yeah, Del Toro would do a really fun job with those, I think. He would. And they have so much to say about like faith and religion too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And those themes don't exactly come across in the film. No, they're, they're very present in like the books. Mm-hmm. And I love the books, like they're favorites of mine, but in the films, like they don't. Would you still set it back in the forties, I believe when it's set or when the novels are set, or would you want it to take place in the present? I would probably still set it in like the forties, I think, just because, especially because I think like the World War II aspect of it, especially like taking place in England, adds a really interesting layer. Because mm-hmm. like to me, it was like Narnia was like this place they could go to like escape like the war almost. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's like an interesting element that I wouldn't want to get rid of. Yeah, but someone like yeah, you're, you're right. Someone like Del Toro would bring an interesting take on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'd be, I think that'd be a good one. Yeah, I I mean, I'm not totally sure about this one, but I want to say Back to the Future because those okay. were my favorites when I was a kid. I love those films. And now they are very dated. Like, they are very 80s. And I think it would be really fun to do a modern version of it and to do a, and to have our version of the future and then have the past be like the eighties when, when the films are take place. Oh, interesting. Yeah. That would be, that would be really cool. Yeah. And I know often they, they've been gender swapping them. And I think this one, they could do that as well. Yeah, they totally could. That would definitely, that would bring like, that would make it pretty interesting and like would give some good representation. Cause I know a lot of like studio movies, need that (laughs) yeah even the even the doc could be like a woman this time around or something Mm -hmm. but i think that would be really fun and i think there's some interest they could do a lot of interesting things with our version of what the future would be like and i think it'd be enjoyable i mean or you could they could do it this way they could have um marty's character be the doc now you know that figure. oh yeah so almost like a sequel type thing yeah but yeah, I really, I really liked those films as a kid. Though I don't know what I would think of them now. I think I would still like them, to be honest. Maybe not the third one, but I own all three on VHS. I bought them myself, and I was like, "Wow!" So, wow. Or probably yeah. Everyone, but yeah, it was. I rewatched the first one recently, and I still loved it. So they're really fun, and the setting of the fifties how is really fun in that. And I'm just trying to, and I'm thinking now how it would be really cool for whoever's the protagonist in this to go back to like the eighties with their parents and how fun that would be. And it'd be a nice wink. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so that would be my pitch if we're going to reboot one. Although I really don't think we need any more reboots. But I, and I'm trying to, and I wonder who I would have star in that. I'm trying to think of someone younger that would, cause it's, she's, cause he's a teenager. Yeah. So probably I really like um, Dylan Jalula. Jalula. Do you know who I'm talking about? Um, maybe if I put a face to it, but I don't off the yeah. top of my head. She's really funny, and she's in that film Flower, which I haven't watched yet. It's not come out here, but she's also been in Kimmy Schmidt. She was the stepdaughter in that, and First Girl I Loved. Oh, I did see First Girl I Loved. I really liked yeah. that one. She's the protagonist of that, and I just really like her. And I, she, I think she's really funny in in real life as well as on film. So I think she could be really enjoyable in that. And she's still young enough that she can play a teenager, even though she's probably like 25. 
yeah, she would definitely be an interesting addition to yeah. that movie. Even though I don't, I don't think it needs no. a reboot. But, but if it were, if it if it were to get one, I would probably be there. <laughs> oh, yeah, I would watch it. Um. So let's talk about the film that we're here to discuss, Driftwood. Okay. So first of all, I found this on the sci-fi section of Hulu, and I don't know why it was there because I I think you would agree it's not really sci-fi, is it? No, I don't think it's sci-fi. Like, I was like the whole movie. I was just waiting for something to happen, like some twist that would show it to like be sci-fi, but it wasn't. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of confused. No, there's no context as to what's happening in the film. So the film, to give a really brief description, is essentially about a man who finds a woman washed up at the beach. And he brings her home with him and keeps her there. Yeah. That's about, that's really the entire film. And that's really about as much info as we get. Yeah, there's no like conventional plot whatsoever. It all kind of just like takes place within this one location. And it's kind of like more like an idea premise that's like expanded upon, but it's not really, there's no plot or like narrative really. No, and there's also no dialogue, even though I get the sense that both characters can speak. Yeah. Um, there's no conversations between them at any point. And the film, the majority of the film is just them. And it's very strange because there's not, even though a lot of the things that happen are very creepy and sort of reminded me almost of 10 Cloverfield Lane. Yeah, I got a lot of vibes from that too. Right. The tone itself wasn't creepy. The tone itself was super casual. The pacing was very slow, but there was no tension compared to when you're just talking about the film Unsane, which is full of tension and dread and anxiety. There's none of that here, even though you have scenes of him putting shackles on her ankle and you have scenes of him putting wood and nailing wood over her window so she doesn't get out. She seems Mm -hmm. so aloof and like she doesn't care. She just sort of wanders around. She never really tries to escape until pretty much the very end. She just will wander out of the house and walks around. It's super casual. There's no urgency to it. Yeah, none none at all. That was like probably the most fascinating part of the film was her character and how she seemed like kind of like she was really passive like Mm -hmm. the whole time. It's almost like every like everything she was like going through and like all the things like he was doing just like had really like no effect on her. Yeah. And it was something that I was trying to figure out what that meant in like the context of the film, like thematically. And I just I still haven't been able to figure that out. What do you think about that? I at first at least thought that she had a mental illness perhaps okay and she wasn't able to care for herself and he was her caregiver Mm -hmm. and that was my initial thought because you don't get the sense that he really kidnaps her i mean did he maybe but she does not know how to cook she doesn't know how to go to the bathroom by herself He has to take her to the toilet. He has to take her to get a bath. He has to comb her hair. So to me, there was a sense that he was taking care of her and he was some kind of parental figure at the beginning. Mm -hmm. 
And her bedroom is all set up when he brings her there at, in the, at the very beginning from the beach. So I feel like she's either, she either has um, some kind of mental illness or she is not human. She's like a mermaid that washed up on sea and now has legs or she's an alien. I don't know. I kind of got the vibe that she was like, that she was like an alien almost. Mm-hmm. Same. Like, cause like you talked about, like she didn't, she had like a complete unawareness of, of any like basic, like human like skills that like, just like most people like, and she's probably like in her early twenties or something. Mm-hmm. So, like most people her age would obviously be able to, to do the things that she just has no clue about in this movie. Yeah. It's really strange. And you sort of are very confused about the guy who's taking care of her and why, why he took her because, but, and then you have this sense that the film reveals through him looking at old photos and looking in his closet that he's trying to replace his, I'm assuming past wife. Okay. I actually missed that. I didn't pick up on that. detail. So what happens is he is shown to be like looking through his like shoebox at all these old photos, including one of, I'm assuming it's him, a man and his wife uh, at their wedding. And then he gets out a wedding dress and then he has her get into it. And then they take a photo together. Yeah. And he like puts the ring on her and everything too. Yeah. But it's not all their relationship is never like explicitly sexual. Even though well, it weird elements. I felt like there was like there was like sexual like undertones to mm-hmm. it that kind of like grew throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. Like because like he like buys her underwear, right? And then they they just like kind of sit on the couch, and she's just like that's all she's wearing. Yeah. And he like puts his arm around her, and like he's just like looking at her. So it's almost like I kind of got the impression that he was like the caregiver, like towards like the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. But as it went on, yeah, I kind of got really like predatory mm-hmm. that's how i felt well. off of it. but i just wish the tension had been better that i felt more scared and threatened by him because i really didn't even though he was doing these weird things yeah there was uh, there was really no tension in the movie and like i thought that was interesting but mm-hmm. i thought it would have like worked better if there was tension and maybe if there was some more context and not as much just like mystery it was very isolated mm-hmm the events of the movie, like not just the characters being isolated in like this like cabin and like the woods, but it just seemed like their reality was isolated from like, from any kind of like real world understanding of like how things work. To me, it almost felt like they were the only ones in their world kind of, mm-hmm. because even like when he goes, to, when he goes to the beach, like about two thirds through the movie, there's just this shot of the beach and it's just empty. Yeah. Except for like, there, and then there's like two people that just like walk across it. And then, yeah. Yeah. No, that's true. For me, I thought the most ridiculous moment was they're sitting on the couch together, um, the girl and the man, and you, you never get their names in the film either. And they're supposedly watching TV and the audio is like this super cheesy, upbeat music that is clearly taken from like a no royalty site. Yeah. That if you're making a student short film, you would just go online and be like, what free audio can I get? And it was just like yeah. ridiculous, especially considering that the film barely uses any music at all, which I've personally found super off-putting. And it made me notice how much other films use music constantly. Yeah. For a film that has sort of a thrilling premise, 
to have no music building the suspense and sort of making the moment, it kind of ruins it, I think. So there's a lot of just natural audio of crickets, of bugs, of cars passing, of the mm-hmm. wind. It's, it should be more unsettling than it is. Personally, I just found it kind of boring. Yeah, I agree. It was like, it was just way too calm for like what it was trying to do. And I know we talked about like that earlier, but I thought it was really boring. <laughs> I was like really thankful that it was only 75 minutes long because I don't think I would have been able to sit through two hours of it. It should have been a short film. Definitely. Definitely should have been a short film. Yeah. So why do you think when someone is on Hulu looking for a film to watch that night, they would pick this one? What do you think the draw would be for them? I would say the draw would be that it's relatively short. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's it's nothing to do with like the film itself, but for me, if like I was browsing Hulu and I saw the poster, like, driftwood and i clicked on it i probably wouldn't watch it unless i was just like looking for something quick to watch and once i turned it on i probably would finish it just because i would be so curious like to know like where in the world is this movie going Mm -hmm. but at the end i would kind of feel like it was a waste of time (laughs) yeah you never really get the answer to that question yeah i think the reason that i when I was looking for films for us to watch, I picked that one as an option and I even started it because I thought the premise sounded really interesting mm. and I, I thought the poster art was really good. There's so many movies out there that I see when I'm looking to do this podcast that didn't receive any attention or that I've never heard of that just look terrible. Yeah. And I I know are gonna not going to be enjoyable, but there was something about the way this film was presented that I thought, oh, this might actually be good. This might actually be really interesting. Yeah. Um, now that you bring that up, that's actually, that's a good, that's a good point. It is, it's not something that would seem like very conventional. So I suppose if you're looking for something different, almost like mm-hmm. if you're looking for something like really super artsy, cause it is really artsy that you want to like, just experience that. And I feel like someone could be drawn to click on it at that. Yeah. I mean, I think it's experimental nature with the fact that it uses no dialogue is really intriguing and makes the film noteworthy. But if you just are on Hulu, you have no idea of that if you don't look up the film because it doesn't say anywhere in the description that that's the case. So it was surprising to me. Yeah, I was just waiting for them to to start talking and they never did. (laughs) Yeah, I wish sort of the film would have climaxed to that point, but it, it really never does, which is kind of sad in my opinion. But the film is an interesting study in how to convey relationships and plot purely through visuals i just don't think the plot or the relationships were strong enough yeah i agree i thought some of the editing and like the framing and compositions were pretty interesting there were some interesting ideas in there um there was a lot of like stationary shots like Mm -hmm. just the camera like didn't really move very much but when it did i really noticed it which i liked like when she walked outside i think for the first time the camera had like been still up until that point. But when she walked outside, it kind of just like followed her Mm -hmm. and it was almost like it had been like set free. And it was like this tantalizing idea of freedom. So I I liked that moment. No, that's a good point. Something I didn't really notice how it reflects her emotional being on a technical level. I liked the use of color in the film. Okay. Just in the first shot where she's at the beach, it really is all washed in blues and then juxtapose that with like two minutes later when she's in her in the bedroom and it's very bright pink and the pink just sort of flows not on, off the wall but onto her as well. 
Interesting. I didn't notice that element. What do you think the target audience for this film is? Hmm. Honestly, I think the target audience would be like probably like film students mm-hmm. who are looking to like make a film just because it feels very, it almost feels like a student film kind of, but a little better than that maybe. Mm-hmm. But it has some really interesting ideas, like I mentioned before, in editing and composition on just like a very like basic level. It's, it's, it's very easy to notice just because there's no dialogue. So it really leaves a lot of room to focus on the filmmaking itself. That's another, that's another thing that would probably draw me in. If I actually had known something about it before and I saw this, I might, and like I had known that there was no dialogue, I might have actually watched it just to like to pay attention to the filmmaking. Yeah. I feel like the film was made with the intention of people who are really interested in film and film as a craft watching it. Yeah. I know that it was shown at Slamdance and it was actually pretty well received there. And that makes sense to me that they were looking for sort of an artsy film going audience like that. Watch it, especially like an indie, an audience that enjoys like indies that are really indie because Slamdance, if you're not familiar with it, is a festival that happens at the same time as Sundance in the same location in Park City as well. And it shows films that basically could not get into Sundance that are much more indie than than that. I'm a little surprised that it won the Grand Jury Prize for Best Narrative, but I, I definitely see that it would have probably gone over pretty well there. Yeah, I think the like the award probably came, honestly, probably came from the fact that there just was no dialogue because that just sets it apart from everything else. Yeah, it's an interesting concept, but I worry that it was too much of the fact that it's just an interesting concept, that they just had this concept and they're like, let's make a movie around it. Yeah. Instead of coming up with a strong idea and then finding ways to tell it, they figured out that they wanted to do this element, this format first, and then tried to make a story fit it. Yeah, it kind of had like silent film elements to it, but at the same time it didn't because the sound design was still like very present. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I saw that all of the audio was re-recorded or followed in post-production. That is interesting. So even, so like when she's rattling her, yeah, you know, shackles on her ankles, that's something that they add later, which does make sense. Cause I did feel like there were parts where things were too loud or they went on for a little bit too long. It's a weird detail, but I found like when they were eating, the chewing was so annoying. It got, it was really aggravating, way too loud. No, that scene bothered me i wonder if it was meant to because if it was meant to be sort of obnoxious then it it achieved its goal Mm -hmm. but i don't really know how that helps the film exactly i mean once again i i said this before but i thought it was more boring than uncomfortable or tension yeah the whole like sound design thing struck me less as like intentional it kind of felt like it really felt like incompetent (laughs) this sound design because it was just so annoying like it was like annoying to the point where i didn't think it could be intentional it just felt like poor production quality yeah well they they made all those sounds later yeah that's yeah that's true so they they wanted it to be that way for better or worse i wonder if that was an artistic choice or just like maybe they're they didn't like their first audio track so they re-recorded it or no i i would guess the former because <laughs> that's a lot of work to do to like make all these little scraping sounds and stuff and it is and then it for is. us to just say it's bad 
Did you have a favorite moment from the film? Something that you did like? Let's see. I don't know if it's a spoiler to talk about the third character arriving or no. I think it's I think it's okay. Just just set up who he is. Okay. So pretty much out of nowhere, this old man is like um what he's credited as in the in the credits is just mm-hmm. old man. When he goes to the beach and like he comes back with another person and it's a it's a young man mm-hmm. who's like equally like aloof and like doesn't doesn't really know like doesn't really know how to act act like behave himself or like just like live really and um the two the young woman and the old man are eating dinner and he's just standing there with a bottle of wine and then when he goes to refill the old man's cup he overflows it Mm -hmm. and the old man gets like really angry at him and like drags him outside and then um you see just her like standing in the window just like looking just like looking on and to me like i thought this was like a really cool like part of like added like a really interesting nuance to her performance but it was almost like she was like sympathizing with him oh yeah there was a connection between the two and i think it was the only real connection of the film even though it never gets fully developed and then like the next scene she just goes outside and like just gives him a hug and i thought that was like a really good moment yeah i liked that and i wish we got more of them and how they're connected so i mean back to the alien theory are they both aliens I mean, yeah, they they could be, but it's just, I don't know. Like, they just, they were kind of like human, humans, but like not. Well, they're clearly from the same source because they both showed up at the beach. They both have no knowledge of how to take care of themselves, how to live a daily life in this world. Mm -hmm. One of the ideas that crossed my mind just as we were um, talking is that he's, like, throughout the movie, he's, like, teaching her, like, how to, like, live as, like, a human in, like, society. Mm-hmm. But all the while, like, he ignores, like, the most human part about us, which is empathy. And then she kind of, like, she just, like, kind of, like, develops that. Yeah, th- uh, especially through her interactions with this new boy and seeing the way that the mm-hmm. old man treats him because he, he does not like him. He's, there's clearly some jealousy there. Yeah, I agree. I think my favorite moment was just this little scene of the old man getting her ready to take these wedding photos with him and specifically Mm -hmm. him putting makeup on her. Oh yeah. That was a cool little scene. It's like, it's almost like he had never put makeup on someone like it had been years. Yeah. It felt a little creepy, but it also felt a little bit funny. The idea of a, a man putting trying to put makeup on a woman who just clearly has no idea how to do it. It turns out kind of terrible. And I just thought the way it was shot was really cool. And even though I wasn't a fan of the editing in this movie, I thought the way that was edited was pretty nice. And because basically it's just straight on her face. Yeah, like a close up. I like the way that was shot. I like the colors in it. Yeah, that was a good scene. How do you think you would classify this film? on a scale from Hallmark to Criterion Collection in terms of quality, is there a place that you think you would put it? Hmm. I don't think it quite, like, reached, like, Hallmark-level, like, cheesiness at all. Because it definitely had, like, it definitely had the intention to be something, I think, better than it turned out to be. The director clearly had a vision that he was trying to accomplish, 
and it, it wasn't just like mm-hmm. generic like it was definitely original i thought so it wasn't just like generic nonsense and i appreciated that about it so probably like somewhere in the middle between the two but more leaning towards hallmark just because it was pretty cheesy yeah. i think i would put it as a grad film student like mfa film that's where okay. i would place it yeah, um, someone who definitely has like some experience already. Because I know he, the director, it was his debut film, but he was a cinematographer mm-hmm. prior to that. That makes sense because the cinematography was my favorite element of the film. Yeah, and it was very like based on like images and stuff. So my final question would be: Do you think that this film ultimately deserves to stay in obscurity or not? I'm going to actually say, like, despite what I originally thought I was going to say, I'm actually going to say I think it deserves to come out of obscurity. Mm. Just because I think there's a lot that, like, young filmmakers could learn in terms of, like, just watching, like, editing patterns. And I know you said you weren't, like, a fan of the editing, but I actually, I liked it a lot. And I thought the way, like, the editing was my Mm. favorite part of the film. And so just, like, watching, like, for, like, filmmaking craft, I thought it was really fascinating and I think it could have like an audience outside of the few people who have probably watched it on Hulu, even if it's, it's not like a very good movie and it's probably not, not something I'd ever revisit. I would say I'm still like, probably, I think I'm glad I watched it. Oh, good. This is going to be the first time I've said this on the podcast, but I agree. I think it deserves to come out of obscurity to an extent. I think that watching clips of it in a film class Mm-hmm. would be where I could see it would be a good idea. Specifically for the fact that it is dialogue free, that they did it on a budget, that it was shot in six days yeah. and it still manages to tell a story, maybe not the most compelling story, idea. but it does tell an interesting story. So I think it would be good for people to watch who are interested in how to accomplish that. Yeah, I agree. Well, I don't think I have anything more to add, to be honest. Thanks so much for being on. Yeah. It was great to have you, and I appreciate it. Yeah, I really I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Uh, do you want to share your Letterboxd or Twitter or anything? Sure. So I am on Twitter and Letterboxd. Both are going to be at L Maldarella, and that's just L in my last name. Great. You should definitely check it out. It's really interesting. He has a lot of good things to say well thanks again and until next time and you can also follow us at obscurity underscore pod and now we're available on itunes as well as soundcloud thanks for listening bye